May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Chinese scholar and poet Su Shi wrote in the year 1082, we exist no longer than mayflies. I think we've all at one point or another seen a mayfly, but not for long. They are insects with very short lifespans. You might say they're ephemeral, which the meaning of that word is transitory or short-lived. Because of their brief lifespans, the Greek philosopher Aristotle called them ephemeron. Again, although they have short lives, mayflies have been around forever. The Washington Post magazine reported that mayflies are the oldest surviving winged insects on the planet. A Harvard paleobiologist discovered a mayfly impression from some 300 million years ago. Where did he find it? In a rock behind a strip mall in Massachusetts. An important find, but not really a great location, and not a location to celebrate. But mayflies are unique creatures, both short-lived and ancient. They've also been an inspiration to generations of artists and poets. Mayflies are mentioned in something called the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is a poem from Mesopotamia that is one of the oldest pieces of literature in the world. An engraving was made during the Renaissance with the title, The Holy Family with the Mayfly. And in this particular picture, the insect is sitting at the feet of the Virgin Mary. More recently, in a short comic play, the American playwright David Ives presented what two mayflies might talk about during their one day of existence. The play is called Time Flies. Not my title, his title. <laughs> Unfortunately, after 300 million years, mayflies are starting to disappear from freshwater streams, from rivers and lakes all around the world. The likely causes are deforestation, development, and climate change. One Indiana biologist says, we are losing mayflies and other things that support life as we know it and that make life worth living. So what else is both short-lived and ancient, an inspiration to countless generations? What else is an important part of the history of the world and now disappearing from human life? Back in October of 2006, a gunman took hostages at the West Nickel Mines one-room Amish schoolhouse in Lancaster. In an act of horrifying violence, he shot 10 of the children, killing five of them. And then he committed suicide. The Amish community responded in a way that surprised many people. They offered forgiveness. They offered forgiveness to the murderer and his family. They even attended his funeral. Instead of lashing out in anger, they showed mercy and love and grace. 
Aaron Byler, whose farm is just a few miles away from Nichols' mine, said, we have to forgive. Jesus forgave us our sins. How can we expect forgiveness if we can't give it? At the time, there were widespread calls for Americans to follow the lead of the Amish community and become more forgiving, more loving, more gracious. But then four years later, a group of scholars wrote about it. And one of their main conclusions in writing about all that happened was that our secular culture is not likely to produce people who can respond as the Amish community did. These scholars saw that the Amish ability to forgive was grounded in the fact that at the heart of their faith was a man dying for his enemies. We know that the Amish followed Jesus, a a man who gave his life and forgave his tormentors. And he did it in an act of love and out of a spiritual strength. In the Amish world, this self-sacrificing figure was seen, sung, believed, rehearsed, and celebrated constantly. They understand forgiveness to be the greatest gift and virtue. In modern American culture, on the other hand, this view of Christ is slipping more and more out of our daily view. For the Amish, Jesus is always, always at the center. And they know the answer to the question that Peter asked Jesus. Lord, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Not seven times, said Jesus, but I tell you, 77 times. That is a lot of forgiveness. In addition to naming Jesus as the central focus among the Amish, the scholars pointed out that forgiveness is a form of self-renunciation. In other words, giving up your right to pay back the person who hurt you. This directly opposes how most of us are taught and think and live. Now when when we are mistreated, we're urged to take revenge or withdraw from the conflict. The authors of that study in that article concluded most of us have been formed by a culture that nourishes revenge and mocks the idea of grace. If we look around, we can see that everywhere. People are constantly criticizing each other in person and online, sometimes crossing over into cyberbullying. On a personal level, individuals feel offended and quickly pursue revenge, wanting to balance out the scales of justice. But there are times people simply misunderstand the motives of others and jump to incorrect conclusions. Author Mark Matusek, in an article entitled The Psychology of Revenge, writes, We live in unforgiving times. Public self-righteousness is on the rise, and the taste for revenge has never been greater. Jesus understood the need for justice. So he said, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And while we no longer endorse economic systems, uh, systems based on kings and on slave labor, This arrangement was quite common in the time of Jesus. So initially we hear a slave is brought to the king because he owes, in certain versions of the Bible, 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. And a talent in this case is equal to 
more than 15 years of a laborer's wages. In today's dollars, the debt would be $4.65 billion that this slave owed. In other words, a completely overwhelming amount of debt. But the king, in all his grace, decides to not sell the slave, his wife and his children, after the slave falls on his knees saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. $4.65 billion, you'll pay everything? The king takes pity on him and through his grace releases him and forgives the debt. At this point, the story does not end. That same slave runs out in public, whistling, singing a new tune of freedom, and sees a fellow slave who owes him 100 denarii. One denarius, in this case, is equal to one day of pay for a labor. So in today's dollars, 100 denarii, that debt would be around $12,000. Certainly a significant debt that the second slave owed, but not overwhelming, like $4.65 billion. So he grabs the second slave by the throat and says, pay me what you owe me. And the second slave falls down just as the first slave said and pleads with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. The first slave was not as gracious as the king, and he refused. He took action to throw the second slave into debtor's prison. The community of slaves in the kingdom sees what's taking place. They are greatly upset by what's happened. They go to the king. They file a report. The king summons that first slave back and rebukes him for not having mercy on his fellow slave in the same manner that the king showed him mercy and grace. He hands him over to be tortured until he pays his entire debt. Then Jesus says, so my heavenly father will also do that to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Forgiveness is at the heart of our faith. Like the mayfly, it supports life as we know it. It makes life worth living. But just as deforestation and development and and climate change are wiping out the mayfly, public Self-righteousness, cyberbullying, revenge-seeking are now making forgiveness an endangered species. The message of the Mayfly is that we need to create a, a hospitable environment for ancient, important things. So what can we do to preserve an environment that supports forgiveness? For starters, we need to keep Jesus at the center at the center in our church lives and in our personal lives. And it's there we are challenged to keep that focus on the one who gave his life and forgave his tormentors. And he did it through an act of love and spiritual strength. Again, Jesus is always at the center of our songs, our our beliefs, our celebrations. And when we maintain the focus on him, forgiveness remains our greatest gift and our greatest virtue. And then we make the decision to forgive others because Jesus has forgiven us. In the Christian life, the two are always connected. 
Just as the king in the parable expected the forgiven slave to forgive his fellow slave. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer, including the line, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do you want God to forgive you? We all do. The key is to forgive those who hurt you. Listen to those words again from the the farmer near Nickel Mines, whose farm was just a few miles away from the schoolhouse. He said, we have to forgive. Jesus forgave us of our sin. How can we expect forgiveness if we can't give it? Finally, forgiveness is a choice. When we choose to forgive, we discover that this choice is good not only for the people who who have offended us, who've hurt us. It's also good for us. Whether we're fighting with our spouse or stewing with resentment toward a, a friend or a neighbor, it is beneficial to let go of our anger and our seeking revenge. Johns Hopkins Medicine reports the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health. It can lower the risk of heart attack, reduce pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, depression, stress. So you don't have to wait until someone deserves to be granted forgiveness. Go ahead, choose to forgive for your own benefit as well as for theirs. Bishop Desmond Tutu, speaking as a black South African who grew up under the horror of apartheid, insisted that without forgiveness, there is no future. He rejected the Nuremberg trials model of dealing with war crimes in South Africa, instead made the case for his Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which offered amnesty and forgiveness for perpetrators of the violence who would come forward and publicly confess the full truth of what they had done. He argued the alternative to forgiveness in South Africa would have been an increased cycle of violence. In 2016, 10 years after the shooting at Nickel Mines, a reporter traveled back to an event and he began asking around, asking some of the Amish and and others about their faith, about forgiveness. And as you can probably guess, the Amish were very reluctant to speak at all. But others were not reluctant. One man, when asked about forgiveness, said, it's all part of our Christian faith. It's as simple as that. And then he said, well, maybe it's not that simple, but that's how it is. Forgiveness is not that simple, but that is how it is. Mayflies may be endangered, but they've been around forever. And they make a positive contribution to human life. The same can be said for forgiveness, which is why we are challenged, challenged to preserve it and practice it as disciples of Jesus Christ. Whom do you need to offer forgiveness to? What hurt has kept you from offering it? Whom do you need to seek forgiveness from? How have you hurt that person? Jesus says 77 times you are called to forgive. That is an awful lot of forgiveness. 
77 times. If Jesus can show forgiveness to those who put him to death, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Should we not follow his example and offer forgiveness to others who have hurt us and seek forgiveness from others who we have hurt in our lives of faith? Let's continue to offer forgiveness and seek forgiveness in our lives of faith together. Amen.